we've done a, a lot of work to understand the ideal technician kind of globally. And, and to be frank with you, it's somebody who's never worked in home improvement. I love to hire people who come from customer service backgrounds, hospitality, uh, whether it's restaurants, hotels, anybody who's used to solving a client concern or complaint. I can teach anybody how to use a drill. I can teach anybody how to use a miter saw. I cannot teach soft skill. The only thing that will teach that is time. And it's time that I don't physically have to invest in that person. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. Welcome back to the Home Service Expert. My name is Tommy Mello, and today I have a guest visiting us from the North Pole. Stephen Knight, he's an expert at home improvement, franchising, and entrepreneurship. He's based in Alberta, Canada. He's a partner in Mosaic Home Services from 2016 to present, downright uh, demolition. He was a partner uh, still from 2019 to present, five-star holiday decor partner from 2016 to present, screensavers incorporated partner from 2016 to present, and uh, color uh, envy painting partner 2017 to present. Stephen Knight is a partner, like I said, at a lot of companies, an Edmonton-based incubator of home service improvement brands. Together, the partners at Mosaic are on a mission to build Canada's largest home improvement franchise network. Since 2016, Stephen and his team have invested in 10 home improvement brands, growing each by an average of 58% per year. Stephen is an active member of the Entrepreneurs Organization, YEC, which is Young Entrepreneur Council, the Global Shaper Communities, and he's been featured internationally in Forbes, among other publications. That's awesome, Stephen. I'm excited to get this podcast on the way. Sounds like you've really done a lot with the home service space. Why don't you uh, tell us, the listeners, about everything that you've been up to here these last uh, five years? Yeah, that's uh, one heck of an introduction there, Tommy, and uh, makes me sound a heck of a lot more impressive than I actually am. I'm, I'm just an entrepreneur in the home improvement sector like like you, and I hope a lot of people who are listening, you can think of Mosaic like an umbrella. Underneath our umbrella, we have a series of home improvement brands. Right now, we've got eight. We're not a pyramid scheme. We're not an MLM. These are businesses that we've legitimately bought, we've purchased equity in, or we've started on our own with you know fellow partners and other entrepreneurs in the home improvement sector. We are highly specialized in terms of the businesses that we invest in and that we we focus on. For example, we've got companies that are a little bit broad, like painting, and we've got companies that are very, very specific, like screen, window, and door maintenance. Ultimately, we live in a really fun environment. It's plus 40 degrees Celsius and it's minus 40 degrees Celsius, which is, I don't know what the Fahrenheit conversion is, but it's really freaking cold. And we get crazy seasonality in our home improvement brand. So it's a lot of fun kind of working and growing to uh, build Canada's largest kind of group of home improvement companies here. You know, you said something very interesting before we get too deep into this. You said some of them you start on your own, some of them you invest in. So some of them, in my opinion, that's greenfield versus kind of the acquisitional model. Talk to me, what makes you want to start one versus buying into one? How do you establish that? The biggest thing comes down to who the person is that you're investing with or you're starting with. Um, If values align and if uh, goals align and if long-term vision align, then it doesn't really matter if it's Joe Blow off the street that we happen to meet at a networking event that says, hey, 
I know a lot about the painting industry, but I don't have the capital or I don't want to take the risk on to start my own business, that's somebody we'd start with. If it's a business that is already established, then you know it comes down to what's the seller's motivation. Are they still actively involved in the business or not? Are they looking to pass it on to a second generation and they need to help filling that gap? Ultimately, though, whether it's a startup or an acquisition uh, or a partnership, we use something called the 4C model to evaluate whether or not it makes sense to bring a company under the Mosaic umbrella. Yep, you know, well, right here, I was going to jump into the 4C model, but you made a perfect transition into it. So you've written about your 4C method. I want to really dive into what that looks like, 4Cs. Sure. So my team and I at Mosaic, we, we are on a very ambitious mission to grow one of Canada's largest home improvement franchise networks. And that can become very quickly out of control if you bring on brands or you start to service customers that are outside of your core competency and your core uh, kind of niche of clients. So we ultimately sat down and, and looked at what types of businesses and what types of revenue streams make sense for us to bring into the Mosaic umbrella. And we were able to identify four key things, four key criteria that have to be checked in order to say, yes, it makes sense to add this new brand or add this new service offering. So the 4C model, it's not super complicated. It's not a financial algorithm. It's four boxes that need to be checked. It's uh, your first one is C, customer. Who do I want my customer to be? If I'm looking at bringing on a new brand or if I own a home improvement business and I'm looking to add a new service, am I offering it to the type of customer that I want to acquire more of? Not necessarily to the customers I already have. The uh, next is convenience. How convenient is it for me to begin offering this new service or to invest in this new business? Are there assets that I can use? Is there overhead? You know, can my bookkeeper keep up with the the volume? Can my trucks be utilized for other things? How convenient is it for you? Cash flow is there your next C very important? Is the cash flow of this new industry that I'm entering, this new segment I'm entering, is it the same or is it better than the cash flow that I already have? Meaning, are customers paying me when I'm done? And can I sustain the, ca- the cash flow requirements of this new, you know, new service offering? And last is cross sale. We as entrepreneurs are wired to look for the next best thing. We're super excited all the time. We're, we operate at level 10 and a lot of us don't stop to think, hey, this bright, shiny new opportunity is more valuable for me to use as a, a catalyst to bring more work into the revenue streams that I already have. So for example, if I'm you know, washing windows, does it make sense for me to begin offering holiday lights or Christmas light installations? Well, can I acquire new Christmas-like customers? Maybe that's a busier industry. Can I turn them into window washing clients? And is there that ability to cross-sell there? So those, that's, the, that's a little kind of high-level overview of that 4C model. you got to check those four boxes in order for us to consider it a viable business to invest in. Okay, I got the 4C model down, I think, here. I got it all written down. So when you start a franchise, explain to me what you mean by franchise we all know what a franchise is i think but some franchises really they'll give you a business in a box they do all the marketing they do the pay structure they say here's your customers you're just doing the fulfillment they got a training university everything from soup to nuts from the website to the lsa to the gmb ads to the pay-per-click to the academy to learn and then there's other ones that say look we're going to give you a concept and you guys got to run with it explain to me what you're doing 
with your franchise models? So what we're doing, uh, we are more of the uh, the first solution there, soup to nuts, where we're covering all the boxes, we're checking all the boxes, and we're looking for service provider fillers. We are an incubator here. We invest in home improvement brands. We build home improvement brands. We get them to the point where they're doing between one and two million dollars a year in revenue. Then we look at their business model and say, can this be franchised? Have we built something that's unique enough and solid enough that it can be franchised out to any entrepreneur in any city in Canada? Can they open it with profit from day number one? And if the answer to that question is yes, then it's a business that we franchise. And I'm very proud to say that we've done that with one of our brands, a company called Five Star Holiday Decor. So what is the goal? People ask me, why didn't you franchise A1? And I say, you know, Going back, maybe I would have, but now I like having full control. I, I've always heard the notion when you're in the franchise business, you're no longer in that niche that you went to be. You're now in the people business. So tell me if you will, and, and I know there's pros and cons. We could do a complete plot here with the SWOT analysis, but explain to me, number one, I think a million to two million sounds great to do it a hundred times very easily and do that with 10 models. That's a billions of dollars. And then there's also the mindset of taking one and just making it the biggest, best. But why a franchise over just going organically and, and without a franchise? Well, Tommy, to be very frank and very blunt with you, it's simply timeline. The owners and, and the group of investors here are on an accelerated timeline. We definitely have passionate people that we could take out of our environment and our ecosystem right now, parachute them into other cities and open corporate branches. But you know as well as I do, that takes a lot longer than taking the business model and empowering other people to run with it. We are on a mission to help entrepreneurs create their own dreams, build their own businesses, put their own kids through college. And this is the best way that we can do that. Yeah, you're right. And you get paid up front. So it's kind of nice. I, I had a buddy of mine that wants to start a franchise that I might get involved in. And he said, look, we could get 500 franchises within three years. It's a great concept. You get paid up front, which really allows you to acquire the talent you need. And then it keeps that constant roll of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10% coming in. And then you really, I think the main thing of a franchise, as far as I'm concerned, I want to know your point of view. You got to have really, really good foundations, really good training, recruiting, CRM, good advertising, know how to make the phone ring, understand the contracts side of it. What are some of the bigger things that people don't even realize when they get involved in a franchise? Oh, man. A lot of people just don't realize the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into figuring out what works and what doesn't. And to your point, Tommy, about control, you know, franchisees are quick to point out, hey, we could be better here, we could be better there. And that feedback is so, so critical. But a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into figuring out how it works the right way. So, you know, a lot of franchisees need to kind of pump the brakes a little bit, look at it and say, okay, well, it's probably done this way for a reason. There's a system for this for a reason. Let's follow that and let's see that through before we snap to any kind of, oh, hey, we're doing it wrong. You know, I think that that's an interesting piece. But ultimately, my job as a franchisor is to make the phone ring. If I'm not making the phone ring and I'm not bringing in work for that franchisee, then I haven't fulfilled my commitment to them. And that takes a tremendous amount of talented work by people in our marketing team and our marketing development team. And, and a lot of work goes into that. It's not just, oh, hey, I turned on Google and boom, here, here you are. Well, you know, let's dig into that. What are some of the marketing that you like? Because you're so involved in the day-to-day. -day. I mean, obviously, a franchise, to run that many franchises, 
I'd love to hear more on the marketing plan when you go into a new market. A lot of people ask me, Tommy, I'm thinking about expanding into a new city. What does that look like? And a lot of my time, you know, a lot of my answer, Stephen, is are you the biggest you could be where you're at in your own backyard? Because it's a lot easier to fix problems right here than it is 10 hours away from here. Definitely. And I think, Tommy, that my response to that in terms of, you know, how do you market and how do you enter that market is really define what your backyard is. You can't just enter a market and say, hey, I'm, I'm for homeowners. Well, the homeowner market's really big and there's a lot of different kinds of homeowners there. The couple who are building their estate home that hire you to perform a service for them have different purchasing behaviors, expectations, budgets than the single mother that's calling you for a weekend service call. So you need to really narrow in on that marketing message to say, what are my core competencies? Who am I really for? And who am I going to service the heck of? And once you figure that out, it becomes a lot simpler. Now I'm not wasting energy and time mass marketing, trying to find clients that I'm for. So when I talked to my buddy, Ken, um, big HVAC shop, he said, Tommy, you know, I don't really do big mansions and estates. Uh, you know, we'll go to it if they call us. We charge a lot of money for it. But he said, I'm looking for that dual income, $130,000. They got two kids. They live in a three, four bedroom. And it's a five-ton unit. That's uh, my HVAC client. And, you know, we've done a lot of regression testing to really understand. It's kind of, you do it, you spray and pray, and then you narrow that down into your avatar. But look, we could all try to imagine what our perfect client looks like, but until you test it, how do you begin to really do that? And then I think that's number one on your four C's. Yeah, to identify who that core client in is, is step number one. That customer really needs to be dialed in to the point where you can physically picture them. And the best way to do it is physically get out of your chair or out of your car or out of your office and go to a job site. Go meet that customer. The only way that you're going to be able to picture who they are is to physically go there and figure it out. Don't rely on your service text. Don't rely on your Google reviews. Get out of your office and go figure out who that person is. Now, the bigger challenge that I see is the comment to your buddy, Ken, you know, oh, we'll go do that job if they call us can sometimes result in even worse things happening because all of a sudden now you've picked up a customer that you don't really want that has a different set of expectations, that has a whole different set of questions, and all of a sudden their expectations way up here when you're used to delivering here, or vice versa, you're way up here and they're way down here. So you gotta be okay, you need to empower your team and you need to empower yourself to say, you know what, this customer is not for me. I agree with that because I've gotten myself into things that, let me just say this, I realize I'm not a Home Depot vendor, I realize I'm not great with home you know, the home warranty companies, I'm not great with commercial. I've taken on all of those and realized I'm chasing my tail and not making a lot of money and it's a waste of my time where other people's models fit that. Just like new construction, I don't do a lot of new construction, but I'm a garage door guy. If you own a residential garage door, chances are I can help you. Now, I definitely would love to just have your standard two-car garage customer, an HOA customer that says, this is what I can have here. And they're not asking for this crazy stuff. But when the crazy stuff comes, we're good at it. We're ordering it from the manufacturer and installing it. But there's a lot more things that could go wrong, like damage and stuff like that along the way. But overall, if you're not taking residential customers, if they live in a big house or a small house, 
you know, what do you say to something like that? Is that something that you feel like, and I know this is not your niche, but I'm just curious because that, you know, I'm selfish. I want to know for myself. Yeah. So, and then I'll compare it to us talking. So we do uh, the phantom style retractable style screen doors, very similar to this experience that you're describing. I would love to go work in every condo building or seniors residence because it's perfect. They, they were mandated. They got to hire us. It is what it is, but I'm still going to get the people that want the old style storm door that swing open and swing closed. Just because I'm saying define your customer doesn't mean you only service that one. It means determine what percentage of your revenue mix do you want to come from that ideal person. Then market accordingly. Then determine, am I okay with 20% where it's custom and it's high end and it is what it is? If the answer to that question is yes, there's nothing wrong with that. It's simply identifying that you don't want to grow there. You're not going to devote resources there. And if the opportunity comes up to say, hey, I want somebody to come do 78 custom doors for me. Well, am I comfortable with that level of risk? You just need to have that conversation with yourself. So let me get this. I'm trying to understand. This is a really, really good topic. And I think you're going to answer a lot of questions here. So you define your client and you realize what they are. Now, Google Organic will not allow you to say, I want to hit a 48-year-old woman that's uh, her birthday's next week. You could do some of that stuff with data and Facebook and stuff, or used to be able to. It's changing now. But how do you determine your marketing mix once you define your customer? So for us, it was a lot of A-B testing. It was a lot of you know spending a lot of time and a lot of resources figuring out how do we attract that best customer. And for us, we're looking for a client very similar to the one that you described, dual income, you know, $130,000, $140,000 a year, two kids. And we did a lot of testing to understand what kind of purchasing behaviors do they have? What time of day are we getting the most calls? And for us, it was really COVID that actually accelerated our ability to find that person. We discovered that very quickly, being able to quote book appointments and deal with any kind of questions or comments between 8 and 10 p.m. was crucial to getting that customer. So we went to our call center team and we said, okay, look, I, we've got shifts between eight and 10. We, we need these covered because that's when our customers want service and boom, provided it, nobody else would and here you are. So for us, it was just a lot of, of testing different advertising channels through social media, through Google. We even started doing, to my vein, we started doing traditional advertising in TV, but we discovered very quickly that that's where the clients were finding us. We, we tried it all, we tested it and we tracked it really well and here we are. You said TV is the best? TV surprised the heck out of me. I got to tell you, I did not anticipate it to have the uptick that it did. But traditional TV was great for us. Well, here's a little note on TV. COVID happened. And what happens when local marketers drop out of anything, the price goes down. Uh, there wasn't an election going on. So what, what I'm guessing is, and I don't know the Canadian election, so I don't know for sure. But I know that your local movie theater wasn't advertised because they weren't open. I know that a lot of the local community, so five times less people advertising, they lowered the price five times. And then where's everybody at? Where do you think they were? Yes, they were at home watching TV. They were at home watching TV. So we tried the TV campaign for shits and giggles, and we, I was amazed by how much the, the viewership was up five times. And it's five times cheaper. That's 25 times the effect. Yep. It, it's pretty cool how that works. So, you know, I love this conversation because a lot of people, they don't know who their clients are. They have no idea. They never define their avatar. You know what's crazier to me, Stephen? Most people don't know who their employees are, who their perfect technicians are. 
Let me ask you that. It's kind of switching marketing on its ass, but who's your perfect technician and how do you market towards them? You know what? And, and because we've got so many lines of business here, that, that answer, Tommy, to be honest with you, changes business to business. But we've done a, a lot of work to understand the ideal technician kind of globally. And, and to be frank with you, it's somebody who's never worked in home improvement. I love to hire people who come from customer service backgrounds, hospitality, uh, whether it's restaurants, hotels, anybody who's used to solving a client concern or complaint. I can teach anybody how to use a drill. I can teach anybody how to use a miter saw. I cannot teach soft skill. The only thing that will teach that is time. And it's time that I don't physically have to invest in that person. So we hire a lot outside of home improvement, outside of trades. That being said, I don't have a red seal trade and I don't intend to have a red seal trade under the mosaic umbrella. We're not plumbers. We're not HVAC people. We're not uh, electricians. We're not carpenters. So garage doors. But if you're in those kinds of trades, it's become significantly harder. You don't necessarily have the same access to client or to, to talent that we do. For us, it came down to identifying very clearly that we across the board are not necessarily for everyone. And that started as an external marketing message that we said, you know what, we're not for everybody, but it really resonated internally. And we started to see that when we started to really have dialogue about how our business is for this key set of people, it was much easier to find people, to retain people, and to give people agency to say, hey, we're not for this customer. And all of a sudden, boom, retention went way up. You're not for this customer. So that's the ability to say no to things that might seem like a lot of money, but just really is not up your alley. Exactly. Okay. So let me just ask you, you guys, you've got these niches and I love the idea of the niche because you don't need an apprentice for five years like you do for a plumber. You're not dealing with a lot of the unions like we deal with in like Chicago. Well, let's do this. I got an idea. Have you been involved in any of the interviews? I haven't. No. Okay. Sorry, you, mean, you mean interviews with staff? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I was, yeah, I didn't understand your question, but absolutely. Yeah. I've interviewed many, many, many staff. Okay, so let's interview me. You know, I'm coming to work at Mosaic. A lot of the people listening to the podcast, this is really to deliver as much value as possible. I don't know if you got everything right in your mind right now, but let's just run through how an interview might look. First of all, and you know, I don't know if this is giving up any trade secrets or anything. So if it is, you can stop me. But number one is, where do you find the people? Are you just all over Indeed and all the zip recruiters of the world and, and LinkedIn? Or are you doing it on social media? Are you, you got headhunters? What's the best way you found to recruit? The vast majority of our, our team are referrals. Now, that took a long time to get there, where it's referrals from internal staff. So when we first started, it was absolutely, we were everywhere. It was Indeed, Monster, Kijiji, which I don't know if you have in the States or not, but uh, Facebook. We were all over the place looking for people. And I always start with a phone interview and I always start with just a simple question of, you know, where are you working now? Or if you've given me a resume, you know, why aren't you working or why are you looking to make a change? And typically I get some kind of some kind of background or some insight into that individual, why they're looking for employment. So right now I'm at a garage door company. Let's just go through this. So let's take one of your franchises. What's one of the businesses at the top of your head that you like? So right now I'm, I'm hiring for a company called Screen Savers. We supply and install screen windows and screen doors. So I'm going to take one of my older jobs, really old jobs. So I'll tell you this, uh, Stephen, 
I'm a busboy here at Cheesecake Factory. You know, it's a great job, but with the pandemic, I wasn't able to work from home. Obviously, I can't bust tables when the place is closed. I consider myself a great employee. I worked there for a long time. They used to give a little green note when you did a good job, and it was basically a free meal, and I used to get at least one every shift. I, I think it's important to to do stuff when no one else is looking, and that's what I pride myself on. I heard about Mosaic, and I just I really thought it might be right up my alley. Sure. So, Tommy, that's that's awesome, and I'm sorry to hear that the position's been eliminated, but when one door closes, another one opens, so, so thanks for applying. I appreciate it. Tell me a little bit about what you're looking to accomplish or any goals that you have out of your next placement flow. What are you looking to achieve? Yeah, great question. You know, I'm a millennial. So overall, I'm right at the edge of a millennial. I I really just think it's important that I'm included. I want growth. My goals are to own a house one day. You know, my credit score is okay. I want to increase my credit score. One of the things is I'd like to have a family one day. I'm a younger guy. I'm a competitive guy. I like to drive. I like to know what the score is because I like to win. And that's a little bit about me. And whatever your expectations are, I, I like to overdo them. <laughs> right. So, Tom, you said something interesting there. Tell me about growth. You said, I want growth. I want a place to grow. And I want to, you know, you've got some really big, ambitious goals there, which is awesome. You want to buy a house, you want to start a family. That's awesome. Tell me about the growth that you want for yourself or for your career. Tell me more about that. You know, I never really went to a lot of school. I graduated. I was a 3.5 in high school. I didn't really get a chance to go to college. I just jumped into work because my dad always taught me. He'd had me read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And um, I always thought school is becoming less and less valuable and learning more of the trades is important. And this is what that opportunity seems to be. So, you know, Stephen, for me, what it means is that there's a place to move up in the company. So if I start out as an apprentice of some sort, maybe there's a junior position, and then maybe I can move into a senior position. And I'm just interested in continuing to be trained and continue to better myself. And if there's a spot on the bus that I can continue to move up, I think this is exactly what I'm looking for. Okay. Well, that's that's perfect. And that's, you know, Tommy, that's exactly what we look for, right? I want somebody who wants a career because we're a growing organization. And typically in an interview, I start talking about who we are as a group and whether it's, you know, somebody's applying for Mosaic or applying to one of our brands. It's important at this point that I start to describe where we're going. And then we have a bit of a discussion about, okay, well, here's where I'm going and here's where you're going. And it's kind of like we're dating. Are we compatible or not? Because, you know, an interview that's only one-sided where I just sit here and pepper you with questions is no good to anyone. It's, It's just you trying to figure out what I want to hear. It's my job as much as it is yours to sell the business. And that's where I found we picked up a lot of great team members when I was able to describe that vision of where the business is going and give someone a path right in the room. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to get good people. You know, and on the opposite side of that, because I've been the guy interviewing and probably talked too much, where I'm like, by the way, what is it that you've done in the past? <laughs> I've literally tried to be like, oh my God, this guy seems awesome. And then just boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, so I think there's a happy medium. And I'd say if I had to pick, and this is just, I never read this. This is just randomly. I'd say I'm talking 35% of the time. They're talking 65% of the time. If you had to pick a random formula, what would you say would be the ratio? No, I think that's a perfect ratio. And for me, it's just keep it focused and bullet point, like on the goal. And you know, what, what is the goal of the organization? What you got to be crystal clear with that new person to say, this is where we're going. 
And if you can do that, or the clearer you can do that, the easier your time's going to be. You know, one of my things that I say too is, you know, you could go to HVAC school, you're going to spend a lot of money and, and you're going to work as an apprentice for five years. Same thing for a lot of the trades. What's nice is we'll pay you. You could take this anywhere. You could go to Australia, you could go to the UK, you could go anywhere in the world, Canada, you go to Mexico, you go to South America, and you'll get paid to learn this trade. And it is a really rewarding trade. And for some reason, when I got in the garage doors, I learned all these things like it's 40% of your curb pill and it's the smile of your home and all these cool things. But, you know, interestingly enough, at Mosaic, you've got a job title, Creator of Solutions and Opportunities. And I'm just, I want to dig into that because I love the sounds of that. I almost, I already want your job, but I don't know exactly what it is. But can you define exactly what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm one of the founding partners here. I'm an owner. But ultimately, I sat down and we all sat down as a team, not just our ownership group, but everybody who works. And they sat down and said, look, what do I really like to do? And that was a very long process, took a couple of weeks, but we had a lot of deep thought, a lot of deep conversation about it. I I looked at my day and I looked at a calendar for a month and said, you know, what do I spend my time doing? And what do I enjoy doing? What do I go home and talk to my wife about at the end of the day? And the answer was I solve problems all day, every day. My job is to solve problems for my customers, solve problems for my staff. And those aren't bad problems. They're good problems. They're my customer called and said, hey, I've got this new project and I really need your help on it. Or a team member called and said, hey, I, I want to you know, develop a new career path or I want to grow or I want to do X, Y, and Z. My job is to solve those problems and to create new opportunities. Solve the problems and create opportunities. So, for example, I'm probably going to be getting into everything garage doors. It just makes sense. Storage solutions, epoxy. I wanted to master one thing. I think so many people... They're yes people. They say, oh, there's an opportunity. Yes, 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 yes. For me, it's how do I get more garage door leads? I'm really good at garage doors. So if I get an epoxy lead, chances are I'm going to be working on their garage door. I'll change out their bottom rubber. If I'm working on their storage, you're going to need a new opener to get out of the way. So I'm, I'm actually improving my core business by getting into other things. And it's a cheaper lead acquisition cost. Exactly. And I think people miss that point. And you talk a lot. Number four on your list was cross-sale. And I'm interested in knowing how you gather that information and how you understand that symbiotic relationship. So for us, it's a lot of simply having conversations with your core customer. If you're there doing epoxy, talk to your homeowner, talk to your client, stand there and say, look, what other services do you hire? Because odds are, if you're gonna hire somebody to, you know, for example, in our example, wash windows. Well, if you're going to hire somebody to wash your windows, odds are you probably hire somebody to cut your grass too. And if the answer to that question is yes, and that's my core customer, well, here's a really easy way for me to decrease the cost of my leads. Similar to your example with TV, where it's you know five times cheaper and five times more people watching. Every time I use that lead over and over again, the cost of acquiring it went way down. It's gone from 40 to 20. So one more thing, now it's all the way down and down and down and down. So that cross-sale is incredibly important and it's the easiest way to, to get it because people ask me all the time, just ask for it. Just simply ask that homeowner, what else can I do for you? You know, it's interesting because I talked to one of the partners of the equity group that built the fund for Neighborly. Are you familiar with who Neighborly is? Very, yeah, very familiar. And, you know, my buddy, Kevin Wilson, had a company um, called Mosquito Joe's that sold to Neighborly. And I really got to fly out there and learn their business model is simple. It's own that customer for multiple. There, there's three ways to grow. You get more customers, 
you charge your customers more, or you keep them coming back more often. Uh, those are really the only three ways to grow. So how do you charge them more? You don't do it by just charging them more for your niche. You charge them more by doing everything in their house. That's right. So I feel like the franchise model says, we're going to get a lot of customers. We're going to keep a lot of customers on that. But it also says I'm in all multiple verticals within their home. So exactly. I do like the idea that if some people come to me and they go, dude, if you knew how to franchise and you knew the business, you never look back. And then I got other people that say, you're dealing with a lot of things like the SEC and the, just the, there's certain things that could come down. So or the F, what are some of the governing? <laughs> the CRA and the, uh, there's lots of different regulations up here. We're not quite as, as heavily regulated as the states. And what's interesting up here is that the provinces are very similar, whereas, you know, when you look at the states, there's different regulation and reporting requirements, you know, right next door to you guys. So it's very challenging in the U.S. market. So, you know, I don't know much about Canada, but, you know, it seems like the smartest people. Uh, it's a great country. And I always have people. It's weird how like every third person from Canada. Uh, Danny Kerr lives in Canada with there's a lot. I won't go into it because I go down a rabbit hole right now of all the Canadians. But. What are the differences between the providences that you need to worry about? You know what? There are different reporting requirements. What's interesting up here is there's different um, hold periods for FDDs. So, uh, you know, similar to um, a car loan or, or a mortgage, you have to hold on to that loan for so many days to prove that you've given a rational thought. Um, you know, there are different reporting requirements or hold requirements for you know British Columbia compared to Alberta compared to Saskatchewan, so it's just little intricacies there. But in terms of accounting, everything's the same. Uh, in terms of reporting to the federal and provincial governments, everything's the same. Um, it's very different than Delaware versus Utah versus California versus you know. There's lots of different legality there in the states. So one of the things that I would love to hear for a lot of listeners out there is you know most guys get together and they get with their wives or their best friend and say hey. We've mowed lawns for a long time. Let's start a landscape company. Or we've we've done this. We've been the technician. It's the e-myth, right? We're the technician, but they've never been the manager or the entrepreneur. Tell me a little bit about when you and, and your other founders came together, because it sounds to me that it was much more planned. There was an org chart. There was accountability. There was finding the right bookkeeper. There was a, a CRM. Like It sounds like this is exactly what Kevin Wilson told me is, I took the best marketer, the best this, the best this, the best this, and built a team to go in and dominate. And it sounds like that's what you guys did. Yeah. You know what, Tommy? We're, I would say we're a bit of a mix. We plan. We spend a lot of time evaluating what business lines and what services we want to be in. We spend a lot of energy saying, you know what, how do we become the neighborly of Canada? However... We're still very gritty and entrepreneurial in the way that, you know, some days I come in here and I feel like we're building the airplane as we're flying it. Just like anybody who's, who's listening to this, owns their own business or works in their own business, is some days you just have days like that. Our ultimate goal is a very big and hairy one. We want to be Canada's largest home improvement franchise network, and we're not going to get there without the best people in the country. So for some key positions, you know, marketing, uh, finance, uh, president of the company, yeah, we've absolutely gone out and we've cherry-picked and we've found, you know, great people that have experience doing exactly what we want to do. But a lot of our leadership team started on the tools. You know, myself included, my job was pulling nails out of boards for a nickel and nail. You can't have all of one and none of the other. You need to have a group of really passionate people that understand the trade and a group of really passionate people that understand the business. 
I agree. I agree. You know, that there's a a notion of, for example, when I went in the next star, it's a, it's a great group for HVAC plumbing electrical. They had a, a plot of a big circle of each personality. And, and I think you need a little bit of everything. And a lot of times private equity companies, what they do is they'll measure, they'll measure every single senior manager on the team and they'll find a big shortage in one sphere. And once they add a bunch of management to that, the company quadruples. And I think it's important to have that good balance. Uh, you mentioned one thing earlier that I wanted to touch back that I look at my notes is how do you guys manage and what do you guys use for your referral program if that seems to be the biggest talent acquisition? For talent acquisition or for customer acquisition, we have the exact same. And what's funny is a lot of our internal marketing and external marketing are the exact same. For referrals, you know, a lot of people look to do discounts whether it's an internal referral or an external referral, hey, refer me a, a neighbor or a friend and I'll give you 10 or 20% off. And we stop doing that very intentionally because we are not a discount provider. We, we don't do discounts across our whole business. Instead, what we do is charitable donations. If somebody refers us some, uh, a team member or a client, we will donate 25 bucks to our charity of the month. We Every month we pick a new one and we kind of have a running total throughout the month. And at the end of the month, we cut a check for five or six grand and post it up on social media and say, hey, look, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't give you $10 off your window washing service, but you helped two kids go back to school. And, you know, like it or not, there are some customers that look at that and say, well, you could just give me $10 off, but ultimately, I'm sorry, we're just not for everybody. So you're telling me that you never, ever, ever give any type of discounts off your price book? As of today, no. And moving forward, no. As we built our business, we did. And it led to a ton of headaches. It led to the Groupon coupon cutters, the... The folks that were always looking for a nickel and dime, always looking for a scratch, always looking for a dent. Um, and we, we 100% cut it out of our business. I got to move to Canada, man. <laughs> but you know what? Being in Arizona, a lot of people make a lot of money. And the, the Canadians come down here for half the year, just under six months. And it's interesting because I got to tell you, they're the best customers, man. They're just like, whatever it costs, they don't ask for a discount. It's just weird like that. But something they definitely could relate to but you know for me what i've learned about recently is rather than a discount extend the warranty and say listen if you are a veteran or you are elderly or whatever it might be here's what i could do it doesn't always need to be a monetary return you know i was surprised to hear that on a double blind study in the garage drawers out of 500 that price was number 10 of the most important things but it really depends if your walmart price is really important if your target price is not as important and understanding your avatar, like you talked about, is your first more important thing in the 4C is really what that comes down to be. And let me ask you this. When you're doing business and all these other businesses, I think you'll find that, for example, you gave the example cutting lawns. You'll find that cutting lawns might be really profitable, but maybe there's something else like trimming trees is not or the arborist that works on the water that the tree gets, or for example, the sprinkler system. I just, I'm curious to know, because it's kind of, when the landscaper comes out, you're like, set the sprinklers, fix my drip system, do my sprinklers, or to fix my sprinklers, cut the bushes. I want everything edged. I want this area weed whacked properly. How do you kind of 
stay away from all of it. So the, a great example of this one is window washing. We're washing windows. We're cleaning out the gutters. Sally says, hey, I got to fix this piece of gutter. You know, all of a sudden you're hit with this, this opportunity to say, okay, yeah, I can charge you for the repair, but now I'm going to Home Depot, I'm picking up product, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And what happens if it falls off the house one day? Or what happens if, you know, my tech doesn't know how to do it? What, there's so many little intricacies in every line of business. doesn't matter if it's lawn care or window washing or putting up Christmas lights. There's little pieces that you just don't understand until you're in it. So if you're already in it and you've lived that life, I'm willing to bet that you've taken the time to figure out who you are for, who you're not for, and how to say no. The best thing you can do is find a referral partner. Find somebody who's really good at what you don't do and work together. You know, we made the the very silly mistake early on to say, yeah, we're going to fix all the gutters that are broken. Oh, what a mistake that is. Fixing gutters or doing new gutters on new houses, way different than cleaning them. You know, you need a cube van and a crimper and a cutter and metal on hand. And there's a million different things that you need for that business. Similar to now I'm going to trim the tree. Well, now I need a chainsaw. Did I need a chainsaw before? No, I didn't need a chainsaw before. You need a lawnmower and somebody to push it. You need to really narrow down the same way that you're narrowing down on your customer. You got to narrow down on what that customer wants and be excellent at it. And once you're there, then maybe think about doing some other things. Until you get to that point, find somebody that you love that's great and refer them. And that's been a successful strategy for us. You know, I think there's somebody listening right now. I don't know if it's on online, but I think that when this gets published, there's going to be someone that's listening to this that knows they need to make a change. And there's somebody going to be saying, maybe I'm too broad. Maybe I say yes too much. Maybe I just, every single penny that's out there, I, if I can make a dime, I'll do it. And I think if this message is going out to you right now and you're listening and, and you're one of thousands of people, do something about it. Go home tonight, talk to your, your significant other and, and start making moves because these guys have you know eight franchises and, and they figured out something that most people don't figure out in a lifetime. So please, if you're listening to this, you start niching. You know, I talked to a really smart guy the other day. I'm not going to go into details, but he did some amazing things at hospitals. And he worked for a guy that owned 100 hospitals. And he said the average hospital profitability is about 3%. He said, so they studied and they figured out what were the lost leaders. The emergency room, unless you have Blue Cross Blue Shield, is not very profitable. So they got other hospitals around there. They bragged to them and they said, Hey, Mr. Steven, you guys are so good at handling emergency. We're going to put an ambulance at our location. We're going to drive them right to you. You're going to have all the emergency room. Then they figured out long time inpatients were bad. So like they do the surgery, then they need 60 days to recover. They figured out when you're under the knife, they make a lot of money. And believe it or not, I'm sorry, but there are hospitals for profit. Uh, you know, people don't believe that. It's crazy to them. It's crazy that capitalism is for profit. What they did is they got very short-term surgeries, got the people out within three days, and then they sold a percentage of each hospital, 1%, to the best surgeons that refer to the hospital. And they went to 44%, 3.5% to 40-some-odd. So all they needed to figure out was what were the – they looked and they were able to decipher in their business different units – and measure where they made the most money and focused in on that. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Stephen. 
Absolutely. Don't chase the revenue number. You shouldn't care if you have a half million dollar business, a $200,000 business, a $2 million business. The only number that matters is the bottom line. And that's it. Choose what you love to do. Remember why you got into your business and go do that all day. Don't turn your lawn care company into a landscaping company. They're two different things. You know, Adam Johnson just put thanks for sharing. He soaked in all the info shared. And I want to say the pest control is perfect because today I saw a roach. You know, I see scorpions, roaches. It's pretty common in the house. And uh, there's other people that specialize. I had a guy on the podcast. There's something confidential. And these guys have dogs that sniff out bed bugs in commercial spaces. That is an awesome niche. The dogs can go find where the bed bugs are. But I don't, I don't imagine him that he's a little bit of jack of everything. He's a very niche, niche, niche. And there's other guys that just do general spraying. And there's other people that have mice problems. You know, there's all these problems within pest control. And a referral partner sounds like a great thing for that niche that you make a little bit of money on too. Yep, absolutely. And you can, you can, you can make a little bit of money, you know, set up a referral network, go to your local BNI chapter, go to your local chamber of commerce, like find somebody who's great because I guarantee you what's going to happen, even if they're a competitor, even if you look at them and say, oh, I'm giving work to a competitor, similar to your hospital story, who cares? It's work you don't want. Fill them up with it so that you get the work you want. Yeah. You know, I guarantee you 20% of your business is 90% of your problems. You know, we looked at Home Depot. We looked at the, you know, Adam had pointed out some things and he brought the facts to me. And when you bring the facts to me, I said, that's it. We're out. We're done. I didn't need to think about it. This is the facts. Look, you bring me the KPIs that shows me. And I said, boom, done. And I talked to another guy at this. This is probably eight years ago. We were at a meeting for the industry garage doors. And he says, Tommy. I got out of Home Depot last year. He goes, I made a fortune revenue with Home Depot, but I made zero profit. And until I got out of Home Depot, till I realized where my real profit was coming from, he goes, we were making three times the profitability, half the stress, half the customers. And and here's one thing about my pets or the Christmas light business, which I'm um, in the process of getting bought out of because quite honestly... These guys are doing amazing work. I'm so focused on my business and just helping with the Home Service Expert podcast that I don't want to do 25 things, but I learned a lot from that business is I said, we need to charge more. I said, in fact, we need to double our prices. So we doubled our prices. And I always say this, 40% of the customers dropped off. We had 120%, way, way more revenue and way more profit. And now we have a minimum at the company is $2,000 per home. Perfect. People can't believe that. They go, geez, who's going to spend that on Christmas lights? Let me tell you something. You got kids, you got money, you don't want to do it, and you're successful. You're dealing with people that are successful that don't complain. The people that spend the most money leave five-star reviews, and you never hear from them again. Exactly. People that spend 200 bucks, they're like, oh, my God, I want to use my own Christmas lights. Holy crap. What a mistake. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this lesson. This is so important. Love this. This is very, very good. You know, Talk to me a little bit about the people that are thinking about, man, I got a good business. I'm a good niche. I got a good thing going. I'm killing it in my city. It's not a big business. It's not a 10 million, but it's easy. I can get a million dollar business going and I want to franchise it. What's the next steps? Oh boy. Uh, Well, the first thing to do is take a week off, leave the business, walk out the front door and see what happens. Because 
in order to franchise this new location that you start wherever you started, whether it's 10 minutes down the road or three states over, it needs to operate without you. So step number one, do a litmus test, walk out the front door, turn your phone off, turn your email off, come back a week later and see what's broken. That is the first step to figure out how do I get to franchise? If it, I love the founder, fantastic freaking movie about you know, McDonald's. And, yeah. and it's the most important lesson that you've got to be able to flip the burger the same way every time. you got to be able to squeeze the ketchup the same way every time. And if you can't do that, your business is not ready. So the first thing you do, if you're having a great day and it's Friday and you're on the golf course and things are great, do not go into work on Monday. Take a week off, come back, see what's broken, then fix it and then do it again and again and again. And then come back in a year and say, okay, now we're actually legitimately ready. You know, it's funny because I got this book on my desk by Ray Kroc called Grinding It Out. I just grabbed it because I haven't gone through it yet, but it's got the smallest font I've ever seen. But it came out in 1977. I'm really interested in reading it. I got to tell you that most of the people listening probably think you're on drugs because if they walk out of their building today and they come back a week later, it'll be on fire. <laughs> but I got to tell you, you know, the nice thing that people say about me is they love it when I leave for two weeks because, I, you know, here's the problem with me is I'm always hitting the gas. I'm like, faster, faster. Let's do better. I love the what you hear about Steve Jobs is it came back in the office of the R&D when they came out with the first Macintosh unit. And they said, boss, wait till you see this. You're going to be so proud of us. And he looks at them and he goes, great job, guys, but it doesn't load fast enough. I need it to cut in half the speed of how fast it loads. And they said, sir, that's not possible. He said, you guys will figure it out. I have faith in you. They came back and they did it. And I think everybody needs somebody to push them. The other day, I needed to get out of one of my units. I needed to get stuff out of there because my buddy's making it in an Airbnb. He gave me a deadline and we got it done. The team here got it done. Deadlines, accountability, consistency, just those are the things that drive. And I think being a good leader is the ability to drive deadlines and accountability and expect more from everybody. You know, I have guys that do amazing, that are the top producers in the company, by far the top. And I push them even harder. Tom Brady had four coaches. Look, Jordan, Tiger Woods, they have four coaches. The third string has one. Or not even one. So you got to push your top people harder because they could perform more than you ever understand. Why is it, Stephen, that the top performers just get to ride solo and no one talks to them anymore? Most at most companies. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of companies manage to the lowest common denominator, and I'm sorry, they just they just do. They they try and grind it out. This guy will get better. This girl will get better. You're right. They probably will. But what is your time worth? And you just got to be able to ask yourself that question. From what I've seen in my, in my time in the home industry, a lot of people build businesses because they were great at something. They're great at producing widgets or they're great at painting walls or they're great at putting garage doors in. To be an entrepreneur and a business owner, you need to be great at that maybe, but more importantly, you need to be good at making other people better. It's your job to push and to get the most out of people the same way that your Steve Jobs example does. And that's what a lot of people don't understand, whether you're in a niche business or not. Nobody cares if you're the best one putting paint on the walls. The only way you're going to grow is if you teach somebody else how to do that. The ability to coach is probably, I don't like the word management. Because management to me, I, I never really had a really amazing manager. I've had great coaches in my life. Coaches that held me accountable, that helped me grow as a person in and outside of the game. 
So I think becoming a great coach takes their home life. You know what I do? Uh, last Thursday, I talked a lot about home ownership, good credit scores, passive income. You don't deserve that big trailer or motorcycle or whatever. You say you worked hard for 10 years and you deserve to go into deeper debt, but you don't deserve it. Your family doesn't need it. It's actually a fallacy that you've been lied to your whole life. You might have some fun. Go out with a buddy of yours. Go into it because you're only going to use it twice a year and start putting your money into things. And I love the fact, I can truly say this, Stephen, is is I, I want every single one of my employees to be a homeowner, to have the better things in life, to be able to have financial freedom. I, I don't want them to be a dependent on me. I want them to have freedom and want to be with me. You know, I, I like the story of, you know, there's two kings. There's the good king and the bad king. The bad king, he, he collects taxes out of fear. The good king, he says, contribute if you want, because we win together. And I love that story. But, but you know, for some reason, the bad kings still are successful. There's nobody likes them. And that's the, the scary fable that we've been through in our lives. And I just, I don't like to lead like that. What kind of tips would you give to become a better leader in your company? Uh, you know what? See, the point that you, you made, you know, a couple of minutes ago, just simply be human. Just be a human being. Like if you've got a problem with somebody, sit them down and have a conversation with them and just say, bud, you know what? I got a problem here. And I know that you're an intelligent human being. You work here and I hired you. You probably know that the problem exists too. Let's just talk about it. Let's just have a conversation. Much the same as we have a conversation in the interview about what your goals are and where you want to go. They're humans. They're not scary employees. They're not going to go run out the door and report you to the IRS, whatever it is, because you haven't done anything wrong. Sit down, have a conversation with people. And nine times out of 10, the biggest kind of hurdle to growing the business and to growing people, just entrepreneurs just aren't willing to have that, that simple heart-to-heart conversation. Be vulnerable with your employees. If you don't know what the, the world has in store in the next 12 months because there's a pandemic raging or there's an election or whatever it is, be honest with them about that. They're not going to walk out the door. They're going to look at it and say, hey, this is a problem we all need to solve. Just be a human being. Start as a human. Don't start as a boss. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I do think that I love an open door policy at a certain time. But if you are got a minute manager, your whole day gets torn from you. You need to keep a schedule and have good time management. You know, have you ever heard of a net promoter score? Absolutely. So it's, it's basically, it has a lot to do with customer satisfaction. And there's also an internal net promoter score. And it's really important with a franchise, I'd imagine. Explain to me what that means to you and the team's happiness as well as the net promoter score from your customers. Yeah, you know what? And and this is actually a debate that we're having internally right now because our CRM system will allow us to send out an NPS or a request for a Google review. It won't allow us to do both. So we're kind of... Oh, good. I want to hear this. I love it. So we're in the middle of this kind of debate uh, right now of what's more valuable to us. We ran NPS for the last three months after every service call across all of our brands, collected a whole bunch of data. NPS scores came back and lots of really good feedback, lots of really good things. You know, some brands off the charts, we were super happy. Some brands, oh my God, there's problems here we didn't even know about. We haven't run an NPS internally in about a year. And that's 100% my fault. You know, COVID and excuse after excuse after excuse. But when we have done it, the feedback has been hugely helpful to identify the common trends and things that are working and things that aren't. NPS for us internally has traditionally been very high. Just, you know, we get a lot of referrals from people and obviously it's working. But 
doing that NPS score, just simply taking two minutes to say, hey, would you recommend having a friend work here, uh, can tell you a lot about things that people enjoy, things that people don't enjoy. And are you building career paths for people, yes or no? That's a hugely important question. I think more people need to do that. Would you mind if I ask you, is it a well-known CRM or is it a custom CRM? No, uh, we're uh, HubSpot as a CRM and Jobber as a um, home service tool, if you will. So Jobber is a, a program that is actually founded in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and, and they're local. They're amazing. We love them. They're similar to like a house call pro or a, a service Titan, um, and they've been great for us. So what do you use HubSpot for the most of the marketing? And then what do you use for accounting? Uh, we're QuickBooks. QuickBooks. And you're going to outgrow QuickBooks soon. Okay. Yeah. i just let you know. No um, so explain to me, just last thing, what do you use HubSpot for exactly? Because I'm, I'm implementing some HubSpot stuff. You know, HubSpot's been interesting for us. And we've got a very unique challenge in business because we've got so many different brands. So HubSpot's more of a tool for us to track our corporate location sales or corporate location cross sales between brands, um, customer relationship management, and some, some of the corporate business that we're doing. It also helps a lot with some of our email marketing campaigns, our drip campaigns, and especially when we bring a new service on, to be able to push that out in a really professional-looking newsletter or, or email blast, hugely helpful for us. It was hard for us to find a good CRM because our business is so unique and we've got so many different things going on here. For email blasts, how do you keep your server clean? I've got a million clients, literally probably 300,000. More than that, actually. Probably four or 500. I couldn't tell you. I could look at the count. But a lot of times, if they put spam because they're getting too much of it, your server starts to go to junk mail. What is one of the ways you've seen or tricks that you've done to make sure to keep your list clean and not, not let that happen? We only send information when it's truly important. We don't do a monthly. We don't do a biweekly. We don't even do a quarterly. We send it when something important has happened. And a lot of marketers would look at that and say, hey, you're freaking crazy because there's no rhythm here. But in order to cut down the, hey, this is spam button, whenever there's something that's truly important, a new service offering or a new update or a COVID thing, it's, that's when we send it. And it needs to have legitimate value. Otherwise, people are just going to report it. You know, one of the ideas I'm toying with is putting their job number and their address in the top of the subject line and then letting them know an update about whatever and then just having them opt in. So a double opt in because there's some ideas, but when you're sending out as much as I am, it's good to keep things clean. I got just some close up questions for you, Stephen, if you don't mind, please. All right. So if someone wants to reach out to you, learn more about franchises or just learn more about your company, what's the best way to reach out? Uh, you can go to getmosaic, G-E-T-M-O-S-A-I-C.ca. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram. And to connect with me, LinkedIn is the best way to get a hold of me. I'm the Stephen Knight from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And uh, that's the best way to get a hold of, of all of us. Um, we keep pretty regularly updating on the uh, the Mosaic website with all of our different brands and, and what new franchise locations we're opening and uh, what franchises are for sale. And I got a buddy of mine who just, he bought me the the a one garage.ca and I'm really fortunate to have him to do that for me. So that was recently. Let me ask you this. What are three books that really were impactful, but don't do e-myth? Well, let me tell you what not to do. Don't do e-myth. Don't do how to win friends and influence people. 
Don't do the ultimate sales machine. Uh, I could probably go out. Don't do four disciplines of leaders. Don't do five dysfunctions of a team. But give me three books that really changed your life. Okay, well, you took a lot of the good ones away. I loved The Infinite Game, Simon Sinek. Uh, his newest yep. book was awesome. I liked Scaling Up, um, Vern Harnish. And this isn't my third book, but The Rockefeller Habits was even better than Scaling Up, even though it happened the other way around. Those are both incredible, amazing. The last one is actually Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. That was a fantastic like mountain of a book, but I loved it. Awesome. And, you know, we talked about a lot of things today, and there's a great possibility I love some really good strong pieces out there you know i'm going to give you the next few minutes just to give the audience whatever you want them to hear just something to pump them up maybe some uh, courses of action to take but anything that's on your mind that can help them in their home service niche you know what the biggest thing to take away if you didn't listen to anything else is simply to look at what brings you joy in your work life and go do it whether that's a specific niche or the reason you got into your business or a specific type of employee or person that you like to work with, just focus on what you like. Don't spend 90% of your time on 10% of your customers. Life is simply too short. Focus on who you want your customer to be. Focus on what you want your profit center and your revenue to be and go do it. Nothing else matters. I love that. You heard it here, folks. Well, listen, Stephen, I really appreciate you Taking the time to be on. It sounds like you got a lot going on over there to be the uh, it's a complicated title, but uh, creator of solutions and opportunities. And uh, thank you so much. And we'll definitely check back in with you and, and get you back on down the line here. Awesome. Tommy, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks to anybody who uh, took some value away. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you. Hey, guys, I just wanted to thank you real quick for listening to the podcast from the bottom of my heart means a lot to me, and I hope you're getting as much as I am out of this podcast. Our goal is to enrich your lives and enrich your businesses and your internal customers, which is your staff. And if you get a chance, please, please, please subscribe. You're gonna find out all the new podcasts. You're gonna be able to ask me questions to ask the next guest coming on. And, and do me a quick favor, leave a quick review. It really helps us out when you like the podcast and you leave a review, make it four or five sentences, tell us how we're doing. And I just wanted to mention real quick, we started a membership. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. You get a ton of inside look at what we're gonna do to become a billion dollar company. And uh, we're just, we're, we're, we're telling everybody our secrets basically. And people say, why do you give your secrets away all the time? And I'm like, you know, the hardest part about giving away my secrets is actually trying to get people to do them. So we also create a lot of accountability within this program. So check it out. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. It's cheap. It's a monthly payment. I'm not making any money on it, to be completely frank with you guys. But I think it will enrich your lives even further. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it.